there! This is the Evolution Sermon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that our message makes your week a bit more awesome. See you in church! So rare moments that make you feel either you are the luckiest person alive or it makes you feel like the unluckiest person alive, right? So there is an idiom that describes these moments, which is also the title of my message today, When the Stars Align. Fancy title. But this idiom has a history. Now, it originates from a time in the past when astrological technology wasn't advanced and the city lights weren't as bright as it is today. So people in the past could easily see stars at night when they look up at the sky. And when a phenomenon such as the planetary alignment happens, you see a line of strange-looking stars in the night sky. And again, this happens once in a blue moon, so people back then considered those moments rare and lucky if you spotted one. So today, we're going to dive into the meaning of this idiom. And Cambridge Dictionary explains that the stars align is an idiom that says, as a situation that is very good or lucky or becomes completely right, in order for something to happen. Everything fits nicely. So these moments are often unexpected, right? It it surprises you when you least expect it to happen. Then suddenly we feel like, wow, the whole world makes sense now. (laughs) And everything is so perfectly worked out for this moment to happen. You begin to be in awe, like, (gasps) you go, wow, I can't believe this is happening right now. So how many of you have this feeling before in your life? Oh, there's so little people. So, okay, I want to share a funny story with you right, about Aishu, who is our talented worship leader. Okay, this is very, very funny. So, I, I remember one day last year, right, Aishu told me that she noticed that the clock on her phone was 11-11. Some of you are laughing already, because you all know she told you also. I don't know, was it at night or in the morning, okay? But well, she was super excited about it. Okay, don't worry, she's not like mystically weird or something like that, okay? <laughs> but well, she shared with me that the significance of 11-11... You know how some people in the past, right, you know, we, we wish, make a wish at 11-11 because the number 11 represents intuition, spirituality, and new beginnings. Wow, very, very powerful, right? But, but the funny thing, right, was that after that day, right, she began to notice a lot of 11-11s over the next few months. And then she was telling me, oh, it must be a sign. <laughs> and just last week, right, because after gathering, we went to buy food from Apiro and we came back and then we were waiting at the, uh, downstairs for the lift. And it happens, if you take the leaf here, there's two leaves, right? Both leaves were at 11th floor. And you know what, Aishu will just like turn to us like, there, right? <laughs> no, no, I remember telling her, right, maybe it isn't luck, right? Maybe it's just confirmation bias. In case you don't know what it is, confirmation bias is the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs and theories. So, Let me give you an example. If I tell you today, if you see a red car on the road, you will be lucky. I guarantee you, the moment you step out of Tivo today, you'll begin to notice a lot of red cars. Because I want to be lucky, right? Because that's because your mind begins to set a filter that you will pay special attention to the things that you want to see. So some people argue that star align moments are coincidental, right? that you are lucky to be at the right place at the right time for it to happen. Others might argue that such moments are born out of our confirmation bias because we are paying special attention to them. Now, I don't think that's a right or wrong because I don't know. (laughs) 
But I want to open up a possibility that there are perhaps some moments in your life that you just cannot explain. There are things that happen unexpectedly and you find yourself just at the right place, the right time, experiencing something incredible. So we're going to look into the Bible at a particular moment between Jesus and a man named Simon Peter. Yes, you can call him Simon, you can call him Peter, or you can call him Simon Peter, it's the same person. And how these moments unfold to become a life-changing moment for him. So I'm going to read from Luke 5, verse 1 to 11. It's on the screen as well. It says, One day, Jesus was standing beside, the, beside Lake Genesaret when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, then asked him to row out a little, a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out further into deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Verse 5, Simon re replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I will drop the nets. So they dropped the nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's son, were Simon's partner, and they were amazed too. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. So this was a life-changing moment for Simon Peter and his friends. So we're going to break this story up into smaller parts and learn what happens when we, too, have a moment like this with Jesus in our lives. So the first point I have for you today is, number one, Jesus sees us at times when we feel invisible. And we're going to rework this story a little bit, right? It's like, wow, just dive in straight in. But we're going to rework a little bit from two perspectives. The first, per the perspective of Jesus and the perspective of Simon Peter. So we're going to start with Jesus. Jesus is God. And he is also a human being who lived on earth 2,000 plus years ago. And his story is documented in the Bible and it is fascinating because throughout Jesus' time on earth, there are so many moments when he had been with people and he often catch them by surprise when he interacted with them. You know, he taught them life-changing principles, he healed them, he fed them, and did all sorts of miracles that weren't possible at the time. Yes. And, uh, and this moment in Luke 5, Jesus had just started his ministry on earth. And he is known as a rabbi, not rebel, rabbi. <laughs> and it is a Jewish word for religious teacher or teacher of God's word. So something like equivalent to there, Jesus has like PhD in biblical and theological studies. And he is going around the world to teach God's word. And back then, a rabbi was someone who was of higher social status, like the kind of like the smartest and the most important people in the world. And at this point, Jesus was also a rising star. You know, everyone was amazed by his teachings and the miracles that he had been performing among the people. In fact, he was so popular that, and busy that when he tried to find alone time, right, he couldn't. So the chapter before this, I look for verse 32, right? It says, when daybreak arrived, Jesus went to a deserted place. The crowds were looking for him. And when they found him, they tried to keep him from leaving them. 
So this is the same Jesus who was later at the lake at Luke 5, and he was pressed by another crowd, or it could be the same crowd, all trying to get to him. And everyone is probably like squeezing, you know, like in the crowd, right? Screaming, shouting, getting his attention. So for Jesus to attend to all the people who are crowding him, he decided that he needs a space. If not, I cannot see the last person behind. And he found an empty boat. Perfect. So Jesus, the, the one who has a big personality, decides to get into the fisherman's boat and he picked Simon Peter's boat. Okay, now let's transi transit into Simon Peter's story. So Simon Peter, on the other hand, was just a fisherman, hustling every day to keep his business and family alive. And back then, fishermen were, uh, were considered hard-labored workers and usually uneducated. So he's probably doing his best every day for his and his family's livelihood. And just the night before, Simon Peter and his buddies, right, his friends, went out to fish. And it was a very, very bad night. They hauled in zero fish. And by the daybreak, Simon Peter and his friends kind of like resigned themselves to fate and decided to call it a day. You know, they, they docked their boats by the shore and went to wash their nets. You know, having to stay up the entire night with no catch, I believe Simon Peter and his friends must be really, really tired and discouraged. You know, if I were them, right, I just want to go home, have a nice hot meal, a nice hot shower and pff, just sleep, right? But furthermore, Simon Peter may have felt very, very down for a couple of reasons. Number one, fishermen need fish for their livelihood. No, they catch fish at night so that they can sell it during the day. No fish, no income. Back then, they ate what they caught. No fish, I don't even have a hot meal to eat. Now on top of that, Jesus, one of the most popular figures at the time, drew crowds from everywhere and he is standing beside Simon Peter. Stress, right? I mean, it's a very impeccable timing. You know, Jesus couldn't have picked a better boat. Maybe another fisherman may, might be in a better mood than Simon Peter. So two very contrasting persons at a moment, standing side by side. You now Jesus is someone who is very successful. Simon Peter, at, at that moment, felt unsuccessful. Jesus is the main character, the big personality. Simon Peter here is the caliphate, right? <laughs> the least important person in the room. He feels very small. And in fact, as we read the passage just now, Simon Peter kept quiet when Jesus was teaching. Or at least it wasn't recorded, right? No words, no actions, no response. So perhaps Simon Peter felt invisible. Know that he doesn't matter. He's not important. Now Luke 5 verse 4, it says, When he, Jesus, finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, Row out further to deep water. Jesus ultimately turned his attention to him. And suddenly from someone who thought he is invisible, Simon Peter became visible. Simon Peter was fully present, seen at this moment with Jesus. So friends, similarly, in moments when you feel invisible in your life, Jesus sees you. So perhaps some of us here, you know, we can relate to Simon Peter and our invisibility comes in the forms of insignificance. You know, personally, I struggled with insignificance back when I was still studying in poly and I thought I had a happening life. Uh, there, there were many new experiences. I made many new friends and things seemed to be like going well in my life. It looked very, very, very exciting but at the same time, I felt lost. And if I were to draw a comparison or a reference, it would be like surfing. 
And I felt like I was riding a wave, everything looked cool, exciting, but I didn't know where I was going. And then when the wave dies, the fun stops. And then I don't find the next wave to ride on. And it was this endless cycle of riding the next waves and stopping just to wait for another one. And at one point, I felt really tired and asked myself, what's the point of doing this? And I felt this emptiness in my heart, like I'm nobody, and I don't matter. And I became more and more emo about it. I was an emo youth. And I began to go, you know what? Let me just be in the background. And let me cease to exist. <laughs> and I bring that attitude everywhere I go. I start giving people my best. And it was around that time I first came to TiVo and decided to have a relationship with God. And I felt that something was different. And I felt loved and seen by God. Whenever I pray, I feel God in the space I'm in. And God speaks to me personally. And I also felt loved and seen by the people here. So by the way, this is one of the things that I feel so proud of about TiVo. You know, the moment you step in, even today, right, the moment you step in, people are just so welcoming and loving. You know, and, and we are also um, here, people here are also warm and friendly. You know, we take time to get to know you, not just, what's your name? Okay, cool, bye. <laughs> and we are also impartial in the way we do it, regardless your race, your gender, your education background. And because of this, I feel a sense of purpose and belonging here that I can give my best to serve God and to serve the people. And that's how I became who I am today. So if you relate to Simon Peter and my story, then friend, I want to encourage you, you are not invisible. You are seen and you are important in God's eyes. And now for the Gen Zs here, you know, maybe some of you don't struggle with insignificance. It's like the days in the past. But I would say maybe some of you here struggle with the obsession and pressure of significance. And when you are trying to fight to stand out, to become someone special, right? I'm the special person. To become someone different. To make your voice heard in the world, right? To become activists. Now, don't get me wrong. This is something good in your generation. But when it starts to tip over to the level of unhealthy obsession, when your self-esteem depends on the attention you get, then that's not good. So you see, you live in a time when everything is individualized and personalized for you. Now you live in a high-pressure environment that is individual-centric, right? Information is at your fingertips. And advertisements are curated for you and you only. Social media algorithm probably understands you more than you understand yourself. And that kind of creates a space that emphasizes you. You are the target audience. You matter. You have the power to do all these things. Everything is you, 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 right? And you don't realize that the way you interact with the world right now is now the world revolves around me. My needs, my wants, my voice and opinion matter. And the thing is that once that attention is taken off you, suddenly you feel like the whole world crash. You feel insignificant, you feel invisible. Friend, then that's not a good space to be in. You see, if Simon Peter was a modern-day Gen Z, and maybe he was obsessed with wanting to stand out to feel important, he would have placed his own needs above Jesus's. Jesus, you want to take my boat? Nah, I just want to sleep. That would have caused him an opportunity to be with Jesus, to experience Jesus's work in his life. 
So friends, if you relate to this, then I want to encourage you, don't anchor your identity in things that gets you the most attention. Anchor your identity in, in who God sees you to be. And trust me, when you begin to do that, you'll, be, you'll enjoy a free and confident life. So number two, Jesus disrupts our realities at times when we think it is impossible. Mouthful. Jesus disrupts our realities at times that we think, uh, when we think it is impossible. So back to Luke, uh, verse 4 to 7. When Jesus finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out further into deep, uh, the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but because you say so, I will drop the nets. So they dropped the nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. So Simon Peter's response when Jesus told him to row out further and drop his nets was interesting. You know, he was trying to explain uh, to Jesus, right, the effort he and his friends had put in the entire night. Now, you see, Simon Peter and his friends, they are not newbies here. They were experienced fishermen. With their level of expertise, they should know better what is possible and what is not. Jesus, on the other hand, might not have that experience. So it's the most sensible option right now is to heed the words of the experts. So when, Jesus, Simon Peter, when Simon Peter tells Jesus, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, he's actually trying to say like, this is the reality right now. We, as experts, tried everything we could. And we couldn't catch any fish. Jesus, I don't know how you feel about this, but I am not too optimistic. Hashtag just saying. But here's what I think. I think Jesus knew about his situation. Jesus knew that it wasn't the best time to fish. But Jesus challenged Simon Peter to trust him. He tells him, go deeper, drop the nets. And he says, like, trust me. And even though Simon Peter warned and complained to Jesus, he later responded with, but because you say so, I'll drop the nets. When he decides to give it a shot and drop the nets, boom, he caught so many fish. Right, such that the nets were breaking apart and he needed his friends to come and reel it in. And it was a miracle moment for Simon Peter. The situation, which seems impossible, became possible. And the results were un unbelievable. So you see, si uh, Jesus disrupted Simon Peter's view of reality. Simon Peter struggled to see past the impossibles, but Jesus can. And Jesus invites Simon Peter into his reality that is it is possible and we can trust Him. So perhaps some of us here also face moments in our lives when we are dealing with the impossibles. When our situations and our circumstances surrounding us seems unfavorable and we can't seem to find a way out. And in times like this, Jesus wants to disrupt your reality. And He wants you to see your situation through His lens. So there is a theme park in Mexico called Census Park. Though it is like our local trick eye museum, but just a level further, all right? So the objective of this park is to make visitors question their reality. So one of the attractions that caught my attention is called the town. And the place is built in such a way that when you think you are going uphill, you are actually going downhill. Okay? And when you think you are going downhill, you are actually going uphill. So, okay, I can't explain this clearly, right? Let me show you a video taken by one of the visitors, okay? Uh, let's roll the video. You're actually looking downhill, not uphill. Census Park is a 
Park in Cancun is a park that tests your concept of reality. Notice the water is flowing uphill. hard to make it look easy. Fascinating, right? I love TikTok. <laughs> so sometimes, this is what is going on in our lives. You know, we think we got everything under our control, and my reality of the world makes perfect sense. But yet, sometimes we find that the same reality is very hard to live in. When we, think we are, when we think going downhill is easy, life is a cruise. It isn't. No, we feel like we are climbing up a slope. It's hard. It's tiring. But when Jesus comes into your world, he begins to disrupt your view of reality. And he shows you that going uphill is easier because from his point of view, you are going downhill. And when we allow Jesus to change our view of reality, we begin to adapt and move into his version of reality. And that's when the impossible becomes possible. But here's the catch. Jesus' reality is hard to grapple with. But once you see it, it's hard to unsee it. Let me give you an example. So Luke 6, 27 and 31, and verse 36, it says, But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks and don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way that you treat, uh, want them to treat you. Be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. You see, Jesus' reality doesn't make sense, right? Love my enemies? Mm, no way. But the point Jesus is teaching here is to be compassionate. And if we say that we want to have compassion like God, then we've got to respond with grace and mercy. Yes, even to love your enemies. So Jesus here is trying to change our view of reality. So friends, here's the thing I want to tell you. If you can start to question what you see, then you might find answers that you never thought of. So sitting here today, maybe you notice that you keep facing and bumping into impossible situations in life. Now maybe it's time to pause and ask yourself, what if we're not seeing things the right way? What if we were made to see the possibilities, but somehow we live in our version of impossible? What if Jesus' reality for you is the one that you are called to live in? So you see, a lot of times we think that we are the person who is on top. Right, on the previous image. We, we think that we know our situation the best. But sometimes we need to pause and think that maybe we could be wrong. Maybe we are underseeing our reality. And Jesus is the one who sees everything above it and he is here to disrupt your reality. He's asking you, wake up, wake up. 
He's there to give you a bigger perspective. Now let me go a little deeper, little bit deeper, okay? So Jesus doesn't change your reality. Jesus changes you so that you can change your reality. You know, Jesus isn't like Thanos here, right? He didn't just like snap his finger, then a fish appear on the boat. That would have been so much easier. The Bible would be not much shorter. But Jesus wanted to disrupt Simon Peter's reality and work on him so that he himself could change his reality. You know, it seemed impossible to do the things Jesus asked him to do. It doesn't make sense. But for a moment, Simon Peter tried to believe and go, maybe there is something, you know, something I'm not seeing. Maybe I'll do something to change the way I see. So another fact, right, is children are one of the most creative people around. They, they live in a totally different reality. You know, the way they see and interact with the world around them is really fascinating. They are curious and they are always have um, out-of-the-box ideas. So in fact, when you were younger, you were probably a genius. Believe me or not. Oh, wow. High claims, huh? So in 1968, a general scientist named George Lern conducted a research to, to, test, um, to test the creativity of 1,600 children ranging in ages from three to five years old who were enrolled in the Head Start program. So this was the same creativity test he devised for NASA to help select innovative engineers and scientists. Basically, people who have brilliant minds or creative geniuses. And the assessment worked so well, he decided to try it on children. So he retested the same children at age, uh, 10 years of age and again at 15 years of age. And the results were astounding. So test results among five years old first, okay? 98% qualified as creative geniuses. Hmm. That's, that's everybody, almost everybody here. <laughs> test results among 10-year-olds, 30%. Test results among 15-year-olds, 12%. So this is the same group of people. And the same test given to 280,000 adults, 2%. Strange, right? But Josh Nunn concluded that in his research, non-creative behavior is learned. So you see, for some of us here, you are not to blame for your own reality. Sometimes it's because we grew up in a world that forces us to conform to a certain way of thinking, a certain way of seeing reality. So in Romans 12 too, in the message version, it says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So friends, if you feel stuck in your own view of reality today, God wants to disrupt it. He wants to restore your view of reality so that you can be your own change in your life. So now, the last point for today. Jesus elevates you at times when you feel undeserved. So back to Luke 5, verse 8, in another version, in message version, Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they put in the, that catch of fish, all overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. 
it was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, there is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They put their boats on the beach, left them, uh, left them nets and all, and followed him. So Simon Peter, when he encountered that experience, that moment, felt undeserved. You know, he had never in his life perhaps experienced such a miracle. Never in his life he caught that many fishes in one try. It was only possible with God. And that left him and his friends in awe. So awe is that feeling of fear and wonder when you encounter something that is bigger than you. Suddenly your world opens up with new possibilities from the mystical, uh, mystical and the divine. Now, your brain cannot comprehend what has happened. And then you shrink back to feeling very, very small. Like, wow, it's so mysterious. And then you might even ask yourself, what have I done to deserve this moment? But in this moment of awe, Jesus encourages Simon Peter, you know, welcome to your new reality. There is nothing to fear. This is normal, actually. You deserve this because you decided to step into the new reality I've given you. And, he, and Jesus proceeds to tell why Simon Peter deserved this by elevating his purpose in, purpose in life. He says, from now on, right, like in this reality, you are no longer just a fisherman. Instead, you'll be fishing for people. Now, Jesus didn't have a crude sense of humor, okay? Fishing for people was a metaphor, in case you are thinking literally fishing for people. But he used a language that Simon Peter and his friends understood that their new purpose will be to change people's lives just like how Jesus found them and changed their lives. Yes. Now, the interesting thing is that Simon Peter and his friends were actually very unqualified for the job, if you think about it. You know, how can they, being fishermen all their entire life, now start to do what Jesus does? And they weren't trained in people's skills or biblical knowledge. But nonetheless, Jesus chose them for the job. And all they needed to do to qualify for the job was to follow Jesus. Pretty easy. To learn on the go. So friends, Jesus wants to elevate you to a higher purpose. And he doesn't need you to be perfect. We are qualified because Jesus chose us. And he invites us to a relationship with him, which he shows you how to live out that purpose. And the question we can ask ourselves today is, will you be willing to accept his invitation? for you to follow him. You know, personally, I decided to follow Jesus many, many years ago. And I was probably, if I look back, I was highly unqualified and undeserved for that opportunity. But looking back, it was one of the best decisions in my life. Now, I wouldn't be who I am today sharing this with you if it weren't for the moment that I decided to follow Jesus. And throughout my journey with Jesus, I'm constantly learning, being molded and challenged to become a better person for the world. I'm still a work in progress. I'm not perfect now. But for me, life is filled with so much more meaning and purpose with Jesus. And my hope is that you will make the same decision today. So we've unpacked a lot in this short interaction between Simon Peter and Jesus, right? I, I want to wrap up by bringing you back into the story. You see, when you read the story in a chronological order, you see only the facts, right, about what happened. But when you read it Read it in reverse chronological order, you'll begin to discover the marvellous plot of Jesus. That everything was planned. So as I do that, right, I started thinking, you no, know, this moment that is so significant for Simon Peter and his friends, you know, what if it, 
weren't just a mere coincidence. And what if Jesus chose to be there at that specific location at a specific time? And what if Jesus chose Simon Peter's boat out of that two boats that were empty? And this is why I think Jesus knew the person of Simon Peter before he even met him. And Jesus had charted the course of his journey in such that they can cross paths so that Jesus can do his work on him. And this is what I want to say to all of you today. What if there is a possibility that you being here, meeting people here, listening to this message here isn't a mere coincidence?